Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you're new to Jubilee Church, you're going to find out real soon that, that we love Jesus, that we think He's amazing. We think... Uh, he lived the life that we should have lived, and he died the death that we should have died. He rose on the third day. He appeared to hundreds of people. He levitated into the clouds, and he went into heaven, and he said life would, be never, he would never be the same because those uh, who respond to him, he gives the right to be called sons and be called daughters. And because of this relationship that we have with him, he pours out his love into our hearts and his love absolutely transforms the way we think, the way we feel, the way that we act. He is everything. We want to be like him. We want to be with him. And someday we want to live with him forever. He is everything to us. And this love is, is not without effect. It is an efficacious love. And that, that motivates us to, to want to spill that love out on each other and to spill that uh, love out onto the cities and places of our world. And when I, if I was to think about and I did think about this, uh, the past 23 years that I've been a part of this church, by far and away the most common uh, positive feedback anyway that we've received is like, man, this church is so friendly. This church is so friendly and that's consistent. And I just wanna say that, that in order for you to remain friendly, like you have this posture that I want strangers to become friends and I want friends to become family. And I'm going to open my heart up to be vulnerable over and over again. And, and, and we get hurt and we keep being vulnerable. The only way that you do that consistently over years is that a miracle has to happen in your heart. And a miracle has happened in our heart. And we've re remained uh, this way because of the love that Jesus has poured out in our life. And I am genuinely grateful for what, uh, and amazed that all of what God has done um, these last 25 years in this church, but I'm even more amazed at what God has done in the last 2,000 years in the church. It's perplexing. It is fascinating. It's almost confusing when you think about it. In fact, I don't think I'm going out on a limb when I say that, that one of the greatest mysteries is this. How did how did, a, let me, we got this on the screen for you. How did a first century cult birthed in the armpit of the Roman Empire, so if you were stationed in Judea as a Roman soldier, you had done something wrong, whose leader was rejected by his own people and crucified by the Romans, how did this survive and thrive in the face of violent, organized, state-funded resistance? Historians ponder this. Or here, here's another one. She goes on to say, this historian, how did it come about that a Nazarene sect, and that's what it was called back then, would eventually be embraced by the very empire that sought to extinguish it for 300 years? This is a mystery that historians have pondered really for generations. And they've all come to uh, the same conclusion, and it's this. They cannot explain it. Uh, she says this, against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. We still do not really understand how this came about. It only makes sense. It only makes sense if we take the eyewitness testimony of those who were there when it happened, which is what we have 
in our scriptures. I mean, it's incredible when you think about it. Sandwiched between the temple and Caesar. Sandwiched between religious power and uh, military power. Sandwiched in there is this day laborer from Galilee that would become the most famous person in all of history. I mean, history literally hinges on his birth, BCAD. It's surprising that we even know who Jesus is. I mean, no social media. He never traveled more than 30 miles from his home. He never wrote a book. And yet we know so much about him when all the religious power wanted to quiet him and all the military power wanted to quiet him as well. But we don't just know about the name of Jesus, but this Jesus of Nazareth would spark a movement that would not only mean something to his generation, but would become the most followed man in all of history by the most group, by the most diverse group of people. I mean, one of the interesting things about Christianity, especially if you're interested in diversity, is that most movements, uh, including things like secular humanism and philosophies, they, they have a following, they have a concentrated following in, in the areas that they were originated in. Christianity stands alone in the fact that it is spread throughout all generations and all peoples and all continents, uh, men and women, black and white. In fact, the, the most likely person to follow Jesus today is a black woman. And to add to this amazement, to add to this amazement is that Jesus actually predicted that this would happen. Uh, Jesus was in this place uh, with his guys in a place that we would call Syria, way north of Jerusalem. And they had just arrived in this place um, uh, known as Caesarea Philippi in, in, in Matthew 16, 13. They're there and he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? Uh, what's the word on the street? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, basically a good teacher, uh, better than most, but just still one of many. He said, okay, th that's what people think I am, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one. You are God's promised Messiah. You are the king that's going to set up a new kingdom that's going to be peace for all men and joy for all peoples. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Little fun, fun fact, um, Simon um, Peter equals rock and Barjona uh, means son of John or, or Johnson. So Peter's real identity is none other than Rock Johnson. And so... Um, <laughs> I don't know if he could do the ice squint, but it's true. It's true. I just want you to know that I just want to be that the, um, the Bible software that the church bought for me is, is going to good use. And so <laughs> thank you for that. And Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. I will build uh, my ecclesia, my called out community for my purpose, my renown. And these guys are like, what do you mean us? Like, you know, the 12 of us, I mean, we are just like common fishermen and, and uh, we don't even like each other half the time. And then he takes it up a notch. He says this, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. Hades, not hell specifically, but uh, basically the realm of the dead. Jesus is saying that I am building something in the church uh, that, that death is not going to stop. My death 
It's not going to be stopped by my death. It's not going to be stopped by your death, Peter. It's not going to be stopped by your death, Matthew. It's not going to be stopped by your death, John. John, nothing Jesus said is going to stop when I'm about to start. And these men, boys, really, and other eyewitnesses would document for us why this Jesus movement made it all the way to 2022. They documented why his death was not the death of the movement and the movement and the reason why his death was not the death of the movement is because he would do what no other dead person would do. And that is he did not stay dead, but he rose to new life. In fact, like for three days, for three days, Christianity was over. His teaching was not enough. His miracles were not enough. The way that he lived was not enough. Christianity was over for three days. They had given up hope. Uh, I've said this before, like nobody was standing at the tomb going 10, 9, 8, like this is going to happen. They've given up hope. Paul would later say that without the resurrection, I mean, this thing called the church is just a really lame hobby. It's useless for, it's, it's not good for anything. But he, he, he rose from the grave and it was after his resurrection and, ascend, and ascension that the movement began. So he says, I will build my church. I will build it. And nothing, 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 nothing is going to stop it. And this is perhaps my favorite Bible prophecy because we are the fulfillment of that prophecy. Jesus predicted us. Jesus predicted communities like Jubilee Church. He said, I'm going to draw people to myself. I'm going to save them. I'm going to add them. I'm going to call them to build my church. And it's through my church and only through the church that my reign of heaven will be manifest for the good of all peoples. And that's what we've seen. He goes on in verse 19. I don't have this on the screen for you. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in, uh, but I don't know if you walked around City Hall or anything like loosing and binding stuff, you know, like you're marching around Jericho, you know, I bind thee in the name of Jesus. Uh, you know, if you did that, zealous, yes, uh, good intentions, 100%, misguided, perhaps. I mean, we were doing our best, but that's not what's really going on here. It's not saying that, that heaven is going to respond to earth, but it's earth that's going to respond to heaven. And that we are going to pray. He told us, I want you to pray, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus, listen to me, through what he's communicating here, he's given the church and only the church the authority and the privilege and the opportunity to represent him on earth. America has embassies all over the world. And an American embassy is really just a little bit of America a long way from home. It's where the laws of America rule. And all embassies are, are sovereign territories. They do not belong to the they do not belong to the country they're in. They belong to the country they are from. And God has an embassy in history. It's called the church. And the church is called to represent him and him alone, his reign, his rule. And we live in foreign territory and God orchestrates his goodness, his rule through the church. He doesn't do it through government. He doesn't do it through business. He doesn't do it through education. He only works through the church. He only manifests what he wants to do through the church. And when the church isn't the church, like when it gets caught up in like some religious identity or social club or even just doing charitable deeds, society deteriorates. If you want a better society, build 
the church. And you don't have to take my word for it. This atheist, Bart Ehrman, who's a, oddly enough, a New Testament scholar, uh, said this. <clears throat> Christianity not only took over an empire, it radically altered the lives of those living in it. It was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and even more on a more fundamental level, the very understanding billions of people had about what it means to be human. And so when Ukraine happened earlier this year, there was almost an international outcry that this is wrong. This should not happen. Well, says who? Who says it shouldn't happen? Because before Jesus walked on the scene, this is exactly what happened. If I'm more powerful than you, I just take what you have. And Jesus transformed. He, he, he taught about an upside down kingdom where the, 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 it's not a race to the top. It's a race to the bottom that you, that you serve, that you to, 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 to want to uh, gain your life, uh, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. He taught this other world where you, where we love each other not just the way that they treat us, not just the way that we want to be treated, but the way that he has treated us. This, it absolutely transformed people and it transformed cultures. However, he says, he goes on, however one evaluates the merits of the case, no one can deny that it was the most monumental cultural transformation the world has ever seen. And with all the problems in the church in America, Christians adopt more children than any other population segment. Church attenders donate more time and money to the poor than anyone in America by far. They, they, they are more likely to give money and volunteer time to help immigrants in their city. The higher the church attendance in a city, this goes back to 1920, the lower, lower it's burglary, larceny, robbery, assault, homicide. Regular church attendance significantly improves mental health, five times less likely to commit suicide. It was the only population segment to experience an increase in mental health in 2020. Church attendance is crazy good for children. Higher GPAs, higher satisfaction with family life, higher satisfaction in their friendships, 33% more likely to avoid drinking, smoking, drugs, sexual promiscuity, and are 20% more likely to experience happiness. And check this out. A 2016 Harvard School of Public Health study showed that people who attend church weekly on average live seven years longer. Some people say, I don't have time to go to church. Some people say, I don't have time to go to church. Going to church literally gives you more time. It's true. So if you want to be a part of what has historically transformed what it means to be human, solve the world's orphan crisis, eliminate poverty, love the immigrant, reduce crime, improve mental health, raise better kids, and literally prolong your life being a part of what God is doing. Be a part of what God is doing through his local church. It says of David in Acts 13, he served the purpose of God in his own generation. And we all have that opportunity. We all have the opportunity to steward what has been given to us. 
There's this place in Hebrews where, uh, or Hebrews 11, where they, they talk about the heroes of the faith and, you, you know, kind of like, man, they did this in their day and this guy did this and this woman did this and amazing, amazing stuff. And it put the spotlight on those who had gone before us. And then it shifts the spotlight over to us. And it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in sin, which clings so closely and let us run our race that is set before us. And the question before us this morning is, will we, give, uh, will we give to this church? Will we give to the community? Will we give to the church and make it stronger for our children, make it stronger for our children's children? Or will we take from it and make it weaker? Because, I, you know, listen, I got what I want. You know, I'm, I'm going to heaven. My kids are going to heaven. I like this preacher and I like this preacher over here. And I got this church ministry I really connect with and this podcast, little here, little there. And I've kind of formed my own thing. I don't have the time to be engaged. And let me just say, uh, it's never been easier to live that way. Uh, in fact, when I think about it, like churches like ours have actually made it easier to do this. Shout out to the tech team. I mean, you could, I mean, I, I, I was sick a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, a few weeks ago. And I'm sitting there watching our, our service online. I'm like, this is amazing. No wonder why people know nobody wants to show up. Like, this is, why would you? It's never been easier to consume. Uh, it's just not the way of Jesus. And I want to invite you to shift your priorities. I mean, you know, we say that I'm busy. What, what the word I'm busy means is like, I don't think this is important. So we say that to each other. I mean, we say it to each other sometimes. I'm busy, I'm busy. Hey, man, this is, let's, let's reorientate ourselves to what we're talking about here. We're not talking about attending religious services. We're not talking about uh, doing a, a, a few little uh, charitable excursions here and there. Little, little, little community so we're not so lonely. We're talking about the agency for how God works on planet Earth. To not only transform individual lives, but to literally bring heaven to earth. And let me just say this so boldly and so clearly. You are the church. You are our church. And you are your church. And the question before, but I've been told I can't cross this line. If you're wondering why I'm not coming close to you, I can't go past this line. If you're wondering just in case you're wondering. If you're, you have this decision to make today, what kind of a church do you want it to be? Do you want it to be a good church? Do you want it to be a bad church? Do you want it to be a loving church? Do you want it to be a hospitable church? Do you want it to be a, a giving church? Do you want it to be a church that reaches the poor? Do you want it to be a church that reaches other nations? Hey, this is, this is, this is, you are the church. You are our church. And you are your church. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now you are the body of Christ. And these guys were messed up. I don't think we need to belabor that point. And each one of you, each one of you, you're all in each, young and old, are a part of it. And he says before this, he says, if a foot should say, anyway, anyway if a foot ever talks, I mean, that's bad news, but stay with me here. 
If, if a foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. You are the church. I don't, I don't feel like the church. It doesn't make you any less part of the body. You have a very important role to play. And if an ear should say, but I am not the eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. You are a part of the church. A disconnected body part, you know, if it's ever happened, if you've ever seen a disconnected body part, I hate to be gross here for a second, but it literally, it, it shrivels up and dies, and it's gross. So here's my encouragement to you. Don't be gross. <laughs> be engaged. Or be re-engaged. Be re-engaged. Make this moment, make this 25-year moment an opportunity to take stock of your life, where your priorities are, what you're living your life for, what you're giving yourself to. Why? Because we need you? Well, yes, but also you need to be a part. Your children need you to be a part. Your grandchildren need you to be a part. This city needs you to be a part. This country needs you to be a part. This world needs you to be a part because we and you are the church. If you're wondering who's clapping, they're all in J kids. And so they're just like, yeah. Three things going forward. I know it's, it's, it's called a joke. It's a joke. Whose idea was it to let them in? All right. Um, so, hey, here's three things. By the way, we have a, there's a, if you're new to us and you want to get engaged, can we, um, there, if you want to get connected, we haven't really given you a way to get connected, but if you do want to get connected in anything I'm talking about, if you text that number, um, something profound is going to happen that's going to transform your life. So you're going to want to do that. Three things I want us to do going forward. Uh, number one, make Jesus the center of it all. So on this, when Jesus was saying, like, the church is built upon this confession that he is the Christ, that he is everything that he says he is, and that in this community called Jubilee Church, that he is number one and there isn't a close second, which means, which means it, you're not just to be a Christian. I mean, Christian is a very general term. The call is to be a disciple. It's not just to be generally Christian. It's to be a disciple, which is kind of a scary word. Um, it's a disciple is, I've got a decision to make. How would you make it? So you're asking Jesus, I've got a decision to make. How would you make it? You're like, well, that's not very scary. You know, you go to Jesus and you ask him for a little bit of advice. We all need kind of advice. No, 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 you don't understand. Be a disciple is you say, Jesus, how would you like me to live? And I just want you to know, before you give me an answer, my answer is yes. That is a little scary. You begin to build your life around who he says he is. I mean, if someone, if someone can predict his own death and resurrection and then have the power to pull it off, my philosophy is I just do whatever that guy says. And that is the foundation of our faith. So when I say make Jesus a center and you believe that he is the Christ, that he is the anointed one, he is the Messiah, he is the one who beat death, hell, and the grave... It's only appropriate that we begin to center our entire life around what he says. And then, 
you know, you can be generally Christian on your own. You know, there's Christian podcasts, Christian music, Christian mantras, t-shirts, and all that kind of stuff. But to be a disciple, here's what I've learned. To be a disciple, you need people around you to every once in a while tell you that you're not crazy. You're not crazy for leaving your job. You're not crazy for giving away large sums of money. You're not crazy for giving the best energy of your life to what he's doing on earth. You're not crazy for living according to the biblical sexual ethic. You're not crazy for living that way. You need people around you to encourage you in that. You can be generally Christian on your own, but you cannot be a disciple on your own. So my second point is you got to get in community. You got to get around. If you're not in community, you need to get around other people who are going to love on you and encourage you. Uh, otherwise, you'll float into this nebulous world of Christianity. But he's called us to be disciples. When he said on this rock, you know, Peter's rock, but he's, it literally means a collection of rocks, like a cliff. He says, I've called you to be a collection of rocks. I've called you to build together. And I know there's these issues. I mean, one of these things that I hear all the time, and I'm hearing more and more of, I should say, is people back out of the church because of other Christians. Well, Christians are hypocrites. Christians are so inconsistent. Can I just politely say that that is extremely hypocritical to say? Christians are, you're inconsistent. I'm inconsistent. I mean, does anybody have a list of Christians they don't like? I got my hand up. <laughs> or here's one. Do you, do you, have, you have a list of Christians who don't like you? I got a, I got a list. It's probably getting longer today. <laughs> Man, the disciples though, they, when this whole thing took off, they weren't like, oh man, Judas, if this could happen to Judas, I mean, who are we to like move forward? They didn't have their eyes on Judas. They had their eyes on Jesus. We don't back out because of what some other Christian will do. I mean, there's the Pharisees, there's the Judas. We have our eyes on him. You don't view, we don't view each other. This is the thing. It says, we, we don't regard others Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we don't regard others according to the flesh. We used to regard Christ that way. But now that we are new creations and the old is gone, we regard each other and we regard the world the way God regards us. So we see people through the lens of Jesus. We don't see Jesus through the lens of other people. And so we need each other. Don't fall into that trap. At all. I mean, I remember back in, I mean, I remember back in 2008 and 2000, kind of in that period, you know, that it was pretty heady back then and in particular. I remember baptizing this former gang member who's all tatted up and uh, been stabbed I don't know how many times. And before he got into the baptismal water, he did what came natural and he took his shirt off. We're getting ready to baptize him. He takes his shirt off. And, um, that's, by the way, when we start giving away T-shirts at baptisms, by the way. Um, but
But he didn't, I mean, he didn't know. I mean, you know where that guy came from? You know what he was doing two weeks ago? Oh, he's not, he's not good enough. He's not upright enough. Or, you know, I, my, my, my rhythm is, is after I'm done preaching, I, I run to the back door to catch everyone trying to leave early. And, and so if you want to not catch me, you got to leave before my sermon's over. And so, but stay, seriously. And, uh, and I would always go out, but there's always a crew of four or five guys that would go out with me because they were jonesing for a cigarette. And I would be out there outside with them, and they'd be smoking. Hell of a talk, Pastor. Hell of a talk. And so we'd be, they'd be smoking, and someone would come up to me. Somebody would come up to me and like, hey, what do, we, what do we do? They're smoking. I'm like, well, get them an ashtray. I don't want buds everywhere. And so, no. Well, don't, shouldn't we do something? Man, three weeks ago, they're smoking crack. Cigarettes is progress. I mean, they would come here today and look at joint service and think have a whole other idea of what's going on here. They're like. What Christ has put into us, Peter says, is an imperishable seed. It's not a perishable one. It is an imperishable one. He who began a good work in us will complete it because he says so. And so that's how we regard each other as in process. That we are confident in the work of God in us, not in where, we, where we're at. And so this thing that, that Christians don't live up to your standard, whew, is a scary place to stand before a holy and living God. And I just want to invite you with grace to walk away from that idea that Christians have to live up to your standard of what you think they should be. And you look at, you look at, um, you like these guys who are smoking, these guys who are, you know, taking their shirts off in church and all this crazy stuff. Say, man, they're in process. They're in process. They're, they're, I, I would like it to be faster process. It's okay to admit that. That's why, that's why Paul says, bear with each other. And then if you really hang out with them, you're going to learn to forgive them because they're going to really hurt you. So let's continue in that. And then let's engage the mission. Let's engage the mission. For 2,000 years, no weapon formed against the church has prospered. And the only explanation for that is that he really has risen from the grave. And Jesus is a king, but unlike any other king, he, he, did, not, he did not require that his subjects die for him, like most kings. But he was a king who was willing to die for his subjects. And then he told us, he told you and I, that we should likewise lay down our lives, but not for him. He said, lay down your lives for each other. Lay down your lives for your neighbor. Lay down your lives for your enemies. Lay down your lives for the world. And a, and a move toward love is a move toward sacrifice. 
It's a move, and a move towards sacrifice is a move toward meaning and purpose and making a difference in all the things that we're celebrating today. So I want to invite you to reorientate your life around who Jesus is. Man, to, to, to love the brothers, to regard each other, not according to the flesh, but regard each other the way Christ now regards us, understanding that we're all in process and engage the mission. Find a place, pick up a weapon, serve, love, care, share, be the church. So much is at stake. When I think about, when I think about this group of 22 adults that decided to be a grain of wheat, Jesus said that, you know, unless you become like a, a grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies, well, you're just a grain of wheat. But if you do that, then a harvest sprouts out. And we've been celebrating the harvest this morning. It's great. Somebody had to die for that though. Somebody had to die for that. Now it's our turn. Now it's your turn. How do you want to live? If 22 adults can do all this, plus some, plus some, plus some. What could more than a thousand do in the years and decades to come? Would you stand with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are the one that builds your church and the gates of Haiti will not prevail. Death will not stop what you're doing. We thank you for what you've done in this church for the past 25 years. And God, we are amazed and celebrate what you've done through the church for the past 2,000 plus years. God, we are not content to be a part of some religious club, some social club, some charitable organization. God, we wanna live in the reality of your embassy on earth, your ambassadors, your representatives to bring healing and hope to a lost and dying world, to carry forward what you had given to us to the next generation and in the next city and in the next town and the next country. God, would you do a work in our hearts? Help us to make the tough decisions. So much begging for attention, so much begging for what's in front of us. And I pray, would you speak to every heart here? every man, woman, every boy, girl. You've called us into a life that we could never, ever imagine by your grace.